part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're taking just a little bit of a short break from James. We've been methodically going through James verse by verse, and we will continue in chapter 5 in about a month. But wanted to take uh, about three or four weeks. I, this morning, Jeff next week, and then I will follow up with three more weeks of just kind of painting a vision for our children's ministry, kind of a heartbeat of uh, what I feel God has called us as a people to do. So I think this is of great interest to parents. I pray that it is to grandparents. And really, it should be for every church member. Uh, if you're here this morning and you do not have children, this does not, you know, don't, don't think that all of a sudden you're not included in this because it truly is. We begin to see what Paul wrote to Timothy in this letter, that this really involved the entire church. And so this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be looking in just a moment at, church, at verses 14 and 15. Uh, how many of you watched the Olympics? With great, you know, great anticipation. I'm one of those that, you know, but the, the patriotism of, you know, USA and yet just the love of sports, it was just fun to watch. And one of the events that uh, was pretty exciting, but it was going to be one of those that, you know, the, the women, the United States women were supposed to win the, the 400 relay. So uh, nobody was supposed to really to keep up with them. But do you, were you watching when they were interfered with and they dropped the baton? And all of a sudden, you know, you're going, okay, they're going to lose. Here they are so predicted to win, and, and this is what actually happened. They, they were going for the exchange, and they dropped the baton. And, you know, even though they're fast, they're not that fast that you can go back, get the baton, come up, because so many of these races are settled by, you know, just a length or two, hundreds of a second. Well, that's not the first time that that has happened, guys. Back in 2008, I don't know if you were watching then, but I was watching both the men's team, relay team, and the women's relay team both dropped the baton. Now this year, because they were interfered with, they were able to kind of run the race again. They were able to go out there and see if they're time qualified. They ended up winning the gold medal. In 2008, the men's team and the women's team both disqualified because they dropped the, the, the uh, baton and, and they did not win the gold. They did not place. Now can you imagine training for four years? Really, longer than that, but at least the last four years. And, and everything was in this one race. And everything that was kind of directed to this one thing. And, and you were the fastest team out there. Back in 2008, it was kind of undisputed that the men's team and the women's team were the fastest ones. That if they could just kind of run the race, that they were going to win the gold. And yet both teams dropped the baton. I'm sorry about the Jamaican team there, okay? <laughs> We can have that conversation afterwards, Radley, about <laughs> that it wasn't so much a given to all the Jamaicans, right? <laughs> it all came down to just passing this little 12-inch bar, you know, this little pipe from one person to the other. They were so concentrating on the race that they forgot that, you know, a very important part is passing this baton. It's not just important, it's instrumental. You don't get to finish if you don't have the baton. So oftentimes in life, you know, life in 2016, it is a rapid pace. Guys, we have filled our lives with all kinds of different races. Good things. I mean, you know, sports and piano and 
acting and plays and doing all kinds of different things. Those are all fun. They're all very influential in our kids' lives. Everybody gets to use their talents and their gifts and their abilities. All great. And yet we are running so fast at times that would you agree that sometimes you think your schedule runs you rather than you running the schedule? And sometimes it's just like that relay race where we get so involved with going around the circle Sometimes we really don't put that emphasis on, okay, it is so important for me to take my values, my beliefs, and all that is important to me, all these things that are passionate to me, and making sure that I pass this off to the next generation. This morning, I kind of want to lay out from Second Timothy. It's actually a book that, uh, or a letter that was written around AD 67. And Paul is basically days, weeks, months away from dying. He's in a Roman prison cell where he wrote a lot of the different epistles. And he knows that he's going to die. And just as we said a couple weeks ago, Nero, this Roman leader, really is just waiting for that moment when he says, okay, off with his head. So Paul knows this last days, and, and we believe that this may have been one of the last letters that he wrote. And he wrote it to a young man that he loved with all of his heart. It wasn't his physical son, but it was his spiritual son. You know how, in, I guess, in every uh, area of life, if you have a trade or something like that, all of a sudden you're the, the experienced guy, the old guy, and there's a young guy that comes along, whether it's in sports, whether it's in a, a vocation, and, and you've got to teach that guy the ropes. Well, that's what Paul did to Timothy. Timothy comes along, he's a young preacher. You know, he, he doesn't know that much. He doesn't know the ins and outs of having to work with other Christians and churches and all that. And so Paul takes Timothy under his wing and he begins to teach him about what it's like to just preach the gospel, to minister to people, and how to work with different people from every background. And he pours his life in to Timothy. This is probably the last letter that he ever wrote. And he writes, and he writes with great encouragement and great instruction. Look at, looking back at chapter 1, he begins to point out to Timothy, he said, Timothy, you know, even though I've kind of come in late in the game and I've helped you with some spiritual things, I want you to know that I recognize that you got that start in your own home. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, look what Paul wrote. He said, to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ uh, Jesus our Lord. He writes with this love and this intimacy. Now look at verse 5. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. He said, Timothy, I'm looking at you, and I know that almost from the very beginning, you were taught the scripture. You're talking about God. You're talking about how God loves you, how God had a plan for your life. You know, one of the great things is, is that many of the children here in our church can say that. That Paul could come up to you and, and say, Q, hey, from the very beginning, you know, you had this in your heritage. It's just you've been surrounded with the gospel. That you have a grandmother and a grandfather that love Jesus. And we've seen that work in your life. Now, folks, let me be really quick to let you know that there are no spiritual grandchildren in heaven, okay? You, you don't get to go to heaven because your mom and dad were believers. It is a personal thing that you personally have put your faith and your trust in the work of Christ and Christ alone. So there won't be any spiritual grandchildren in heaven. There will all be the, the sons and daughters of God. 
And yet what, what Paul is trying to emphasize to Timothy and really to us today as a church is this importance of having this legacy, this spiritual legacy of passing the baton of faith and belief one, one generation to the next generation. I can't think of anything that's more important. Sometimes I think as Christians, we think that we've cornered the market of loving your children. Folks, let me tell you, lost people love their children too, you know? They really do. If there's one thing that you see kind of this commonplace among human beings that God has just kind of put it in our hearts and our minds, is that when we have children, and I know that there are exceptions to the rules, that there are some people out there that have just been cruel and mean to their children, but by and large, whether they are Christian or not, you love your children. And just because we're Christian doesn't mean that we have cornered this market. And yet with us comes this command and this instruction that we are to pass on this baton to the next generation. Paul realizes that Timothy had the blessing of being poured into by his mother and his grandmother. He realized that he wasn't born a Christian. Nobody is born a Christian. No, at that point in time when you realize your sin and your need for a Savior, God opens your eyes, the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and draws you. You put your faith and trust in that work of Christ. Not, not into an act of coming in front of the church, not a, an act of getting baptized. All those things are important things to show on the outside. But as far as to have on the inside, what it truly means to become a Christian, that is so personal. And yet how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but just answer inside. Said, well, you know, Bobby, I don't know that I ever had a chance because from day one, my grandmother or my granddad and my mom or my dad, they were pouring into my life. And I heard John 3.16 when I was just a little baby. And you can look back at your spiritual heritage and you just know that, that, that it's rich. Our folks, you may be here like me this morning. I, my mom and dad, I loved them to death. And my dad provided so many lessons in life, but he was not a spiritual leader to me. And that's where the church came in. I I grew up without a mom and dad that were directly my spiritual parents, but I was in a church that was filled with spiritual parents. And they just loved on me. I mean, many of them took me under the wing. I can remember one time that we were taking Lord's Supper as a family. Well, my family wasn't there. I'm just a... 12-year-old boy sitting there, 13-year-old boy, and I was all by myself. And when he said, okay, come as a family, and I thought, I don't have a family. And I'll never forget the day. And there was this kind couple there, and they go, will you be our son today? And they just took me up there. you talking about a heart that was beating with great passion. That as I went up there, that was probably the most thrilling Lord's Supper I ever had in my life. Because somebody chose me. Somebody said, you're my child today. Well, that's how Timothy felt about Paul. That's how Paul felt about Timothy. It didn't have to be his physical father. He just said, man, I love you this much. And that's the benefit and that's the hope that you have today. If you said, no, but I don't have that real spiritual father or mother. You have that hope that you are surrounded by people that will play that role. Or that now that you know Christ, that you can play that role in somebody else's life. Well, we begin to open up, go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 now, and, and look what happens in, in the, the third chapter. It's one of my favorite verses in, in this letter. He says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, 
knowing from whom you've learned it. Do you you see the baton being passed? He he says, Timothy, man, these are my last words. I I may not write another letter to you. I may not be able to see you face to face. More than likely, Paul knew that he would never see Timothy face to face again. And yet he writes and he says, but as for you, my son, continue in what you've learned. I think those are powerful words. They're challenging words. In fact, they can be convicting words. I mean, as a parent, my youngest daughter's here today. I mean, I hope and I pray that I can say, continue in what you've learned. I hope that mom and dad have kind of done that job. I hope that the people that we've been in church with all these years have done that job, that we can say, okay, continue in what you have learned that they would be able to take this foundational learning, this, this learning about what a great God we have, that he's a good, good father, as Ricky's saying before, that they just know that, that it's, just, it's a part of their fiber in their being. And that's what Paul says here. He says, take what you've learned, continue in what you've learned, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. In other words, he said there was an intimacy there. This wasn't just strangers. These are people that you did life with, and they involved themselves in your life. Understand that verse, I, I really believe, is our, is our call and our mission. As, as parents, we needed help. Because I don't know if your kids are at that stage yet. And, and I had nearly perfect kids. I, I want you to know that. I mean, really, they were, they were really good kids. But there is a day, if it has not happened yet, that they just really aren't going to listen to you. <laughs> now, you can force them, you can tie them up, you can bribe them, you can do a lot of different things. But there's going to be a time that just that, that, that influence of a mom and dad just doesn't weigh a lot. And at that time, I promise you, you need that football coach, that basketball coach. You need that Sunday school teacher. You need that student minister. You need those people that are there in the church and in different places that God has put the, the spirit of God in their lives and the spirit of Christ in their lives to speak into their lives I can remember my coach said some things that my dad had said the exact same thing. And I listened nothing to what my dad said at that rebellious point in my life. But if my coach said it, oh my goodness, that was the gospel. So that's what Paul says. He says, look, I know that your mom and your grandmother had great influence in your life, Timothy, but I also know that a lot of other people poured into your life. That's why we're here this morning. That's one of the reasons why we're here this morning. So that we're helping one another out. So that the, those days when, when that son or daughter just doesn't want to listen to what you have said, they, they think nothing of what you have said, that there be that other person who has been an influential part of their life, who's come to see some of their basketball games or football games, came, came to their piano recital or something like that, and, and has invested into their, your kids so that when they say the same exact thing that you said, that those kids would listen. Look what he says in in his last words to Timothy. Continue in what you've learned, what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. Paul's not just writing from a sense of nostalgia. It's not just one generation giving a tradition to another generation. I, I mean, we learn traditions. How many of you do things now that your mom did and that your dad did and your grandparents did? And it's a tradition in your family because it's kind of been passed on. He's not talking so much about traditions. There's something great about traditions. But he's not just talking about being this traditional Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian because my dad was, my mom was, my grandma or my granddad. No, what he's talking about is that this death of, 
of uh, involvement of the gospel in, in your children's life came and it made that difference. But it was because of this influence of all these different people, sometimes mom and dad. Look at verse 15. It says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, again, at that time, they would have had the Old Testament. New Testament books were being written. Some of those were considered scripture, but they had not been canonized. That didn't happen to a couple hundred years later. But they had the Old Testament. They had what they considered their Bible. And Paul writes here, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the word of God, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If there's two verses that I, I would hope be our, would be our heartbeat here at Cornerstone, our, our mission and our call for this generation to come, it would be these two verses. That we would so instruct them, so love them, so generally just raise them up in Christ that we were able to say when they go off to college, continue in what you've learned. And that we would be able to point back and say how the Scripture and your involvement in the Scripture has made you wise into salvation. Again, Paul is not saying that because we teach Scripture that, that everybody automatically trusts Christ. No, it is a personal decision. But Paul is drawing a very strong connection between the exposure to God's Word and believing faith. Now, why does he do that? Because God's Word does this, okay? It tells the two things that I know you probably get tired of hearing me say this all the time, but the two most important things that the Bible tells us is the truth about God and the truth about man. You think the whole Bible, that's what it's about. It tells us about God, the truth about him, and the truth about us. And as that is revealed, the truth about us, it begins to tell me that that I've sinned. And when I acknowledge that I have sinned, guess what? I acknowledge that I need saving. I need a Savior. And then the Bible tells me about the truth about God, that even though he is a just God, and he will justly judge over all things, He's a God of great love and mercy. And in that great love and mercy, he gave us his only son. And he placed all of my sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells me, he took all of my sin and he placed it in Christ. And he took all the righteousness of Christ and he placed it on me. That's what God has done for me. And if you're a Christian here this morning, that's what he's done for you. Well, folks, that's why we need to raise our kids, not just in morality, Please, when I say all this, please do not hear that I think that we can just go off and live however we want to. But there is a big difference between raising a rule follower and a Christ follower. Big difference. Because I don't know about you, but if you're raising a rule follower, you'll have moments of obedience. But it's all because of the rules. It's really not a real passion. I mean, have you ever tried to tell a three-year-old who does not want to go to bed at night that it's time for bed? And that the real, yeah, I see some laughter there. Yeah, and you say, okay, look, the, the clock says it is 8 o'clock and it is time for bed. That's the rule. Well, if you've raised some rule followers, maybe they look the rule, but, you know, they acknowledge the rule. They, they acknowledge that there's a penalty if you don't follow the rules, but there's no joy in that rule. As convenient as it is, please hear this, parents. As convenient as it is to raise rule followers, it really does make life pretty easy. Rules will not, obedience to rules will not get them to heaven. 
There's never been one person, the Bible says, that has been able to follow every commandment of Christ. And the Bible says very plainly that if we've broken one, we've broken them all. Everyone is in need of a Savior. So the danger of, of raising a rule follower, even though it's convenient, they, they turn out to be kind of, the, you know, maybe the star student and maybe the, the, the good performer. That's exactly what they, they're performing. And, and guys, there's going to be a day and time when their performance is not adequate. And what they needed was a Savior and not just an A-plus on the test. So unless you have perfect kids, and I'm truly perfect kids, you need to raise a Christ follower and not a rule follower. And if you really raise a Christ follower, as Paul was trying to get here, he said, Timothy, you know, I give you Christ, not just a bunch of rules and a bunch of commands. I give you Christ. You've been taught that the Scripture has made you wise to salvation. It has opened your eyes to your need for a Savior. And when we raise Christ followers, guess what? A lot of times they're going to follow the rules. Because of duty? No, because of devotion. It it has never dawned on me. This this is in the notes, so I hope it comes out right. It has never dawned on me to go out on a date for the last 32 years, except if it was with my wife. Now, is that my duty? She would be quick to say yes, you know. But do you want it to be out of duty, or do you want it out of devotion? Some of you would say process of elimination because, Bobby, nobody would go out with you, you know. <laughs> you got lucky 32 years ago, and, and you've been riding that luck, you know, ever since. Do, do you see the difference? You can have obedience because that's what you're supposed to do. But genuine obedience that's from the heart, that's what I desire for my children. So they're authentic in their faith. Because I've found that when you're authentic in your faith, even though we kind of wiggle in and out with our morality, we kind of, you know, fail sometimes and pass sometimes. One thing we keep is this passion for Christ and this reliance upon Christ. And that's what I desire for for us to to really focus on here. There's a quote that's in your bulletin. It's it's been in there the last two times. Sherry even called me and said, Bobby, did you forget to change this? And I said, no, I, I really want it there twice. Um, it's by a lady, Darlene Shaft. I don't know if you've ever read any of her books. Uh, she writes about Christian marriage, parenting, uh, even I think one on finances. And uh, I, I love this quote. She goes, if we don't teach our children who God is, then someone else will teach them everything that he's not. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? In a world where, how many times do you hear this phrase? Well, my God would do this. Or my God is a God like this. And people kind of take the God of the Bible and then they try to make it the God of their own mind. Well, my God wouldn't get upset about that. Or my God would get very upset over this. Guys, we have a whole book here of the revelation of who God is. We don't need your interpretation of it. We really don't. Our kids don't need your interpretation of it. What we need is God's word to tell us who he is. And so that's what Paul says here. So how do we do that? How does this apply to to Cornerstone? Two things. Number one, uh, to pass the baton, I believe that it, it first and foremost comes down to the importance of our own passion for Christ. Nobody can ever teach passion for Christ as well as the parents. Okay. Again, 
Some of you are like me. You, you're, you're today, you're walking with Christ, not so much because of the example of your parents, but because of other people. And so God in his grace and his mercy can do that. But I can tell you this, nobody can impress children as much as the parents and grandparents. Those that are in direct line, that they're around 24-7, that they're there all that time. And, and so nothing can be as impactful as that testimony. That's why Paul wrote there in verse 14, knowing from whom you learned it. I mean, Timothy didn't have to think too far back when he said, okay, yeah, I learned this from my mom, my grandma, and from others that were around me. So number one, we as a church want to help you in, in raising Christ followers. Ricky, the other day you posted, uh, you, you like Henry David Thoreau's book, Walden. And you've read it since a little boy, since in high school. And you read it every year. And now, a seven-year-old, Jude was reading it with you. Y'all were going through that book? Yeah. Now, how many seven-year-olds do you know that pick up every Henry David Thoreau? You know, and, and, and wax with that literature? Not many. Now, why would you do that? Because he loves his daddy. He thinks the world of his daddy. And if this is important to daddy, man, I, I, I want to at least read what's in here. And, and Is that pretty much it, Jude? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you heard Amish because he doesn't just look up to his daddy. He is his daddy. Now, now folks... Have ever more profound words been spoken? I mean, think about it. That wasn't in the notes. <laughs> and I didn't pay her to say it. Isn't it amazing? So, so first and foremost, realize parents, you know, we are here to assist you. We are here to, to do everything we can do to equip you. But, but realize, you know, the, this call upon your lives to teach your kids not just the rules of the Bible, that, that's good and, and wonderful. The morality is there, and they will be uh, blessed in their lives to live that way, but a passion for Jesus Christ and that you would live that out. The second thing that we see there is that it is a call for the church. God has so fashioned our lives that, that we don't live in isolation. Nobody is just living in, as a lone ranger, that we're collectively together. In fact, if we went back just a couple chapters uh, to Second Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, it says, You then, my child, being strengthened by the, Christ, uh, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, now look at that verse. See what Paul is saying? He said, look, Timothy, I want to realize I'm going to give this spiritual baton to you. And then I want you to know that in turn, I want you to run your race and then I want you to pass it off. I mean, Paul knew that he was in his last days. Again, we don't know if it was weeks or months, but he knew that in any day he could go to his death. And, and so he's passing that spiritual baton to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, now I want you to know that you just don't kind of hold on to this. You run your race and you make sure at the end of your lap that you pass it off to the next runner. That's what God has called us to do. And so this is something that involves the entire church. Whether you are the youngest or you the oldest in our church, you have a part to play in this a part to play in, in involving yourselves in the devo- development of the next generation of Christ followers. Uh, how are we going to do this? Um, several different ways, just making that a concentrated effort. 
One of the things that we are starting, uh, Jeff's going to tell you a little bit more about it next week. We've chosen some curriculum that I absolutely love that we will be starting in October with your children. And it's actually with the preschoolers or the children, and they even have versions for youth and for adult. And basically, it goes through the Bible in a three-year period you're going to cover from Genesis to Revelation. And so I love that it chronologically just goes through the Word of God. The second part that I love is that it is very gospel-centered. It's called the Gospel Project. And basically, it takes the whole Bible, and, and the main theme is that it's one story. You've heard me preach that before. You've heard Daryl preach that before. Now, this isn't 66 different books that are just kind of standing in isolation. That these really, This is one Bible. It's one story about God who created or the fall of man, how then Christ came to redeem us, and, and there's a heaven waiting for us. It's this one story that starts in Genesis, that ends in Revelation, and it goes on for eternity. And the way that this particular curriculum approaches that is kind of in this kind of mindset that every story in the Bible, including the Old Testament, points to Christ. It tells us the truth about God and the truth about man. I've been doing this for almost 40 years now, and I've never found a curriculum that I, I liked as much as this, that was Christ-centered, that, that looks at the Old Testament, not in isolation of Christ, but in the looking for Christ. So I'm really excited about that. He's going to tell you more about, Jeff will tell you that more about that. The other thing that we're going to do, and this is where I really need your help. Um, right now, with our uh, youth and with our children, uh, we assign people a week to go back there, and you teach the, the lesson, and you, the next week it's somebody else, and the next week it's somebody else. And I appreciate your diligence in that. I really do. But educationally speaking, guys, um, it's really hard to have consistency there. Um, I'm not real, real smart. I do have a master's in education. And one thing that all those years of study, consistency is a real big part of learning, a really big part of learning. And, and so here's what I'm asking of you, to, for you to prayerfully consider that you would take units of lessons. Sometimes that's going to be four weeks. Sometimes it's going to be five weeks. Sometimes it's going to be six weeks that you would say, okay, I commit myself for the next five weeks, six weeks, whatever that unit of study is, and I will be back there with this group or that group. We're also kind of changing the, the approach a little bit. We're going to use what's called a master teacher approach. Uh, Jeff often will be that master teacher. He'll kind of start off with a 10, 12, 15-minute kind of, you know, the outline of the story, and then you'll break up into the smaller groups, the graded groups, and you'll go and discuss that with your teachers. It's a very effective way of kind of having that combined force of everybody getting a big idea out there and then doing age-appropriate learning of that material once you're broken up to the small groups. I, I will tell you very honestly, if I did not have somebody like Jeff back there to, to do that, we would probably use a different approach. Not that anybody else is not qualified, but somebody that I know is committed to the hearts of your children. I mean, guys, there are so many blessings in this guy. But have you not seen that he loves your children? He loves your children. And so that's why when I saw this, I said, man, this just fits into the giftedness that we have, the abilities that we have. We may be a small church, but we can love this generation of kids well and send them off to be the next generation of Christ followers, guys. 
And I truly believe that we would stand before God one day if we accomplished that task. And that he really would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. A generation of kids that grew up at Cornerstone Church through those years aren't just rule followers. Man, they had a passion for Jesus Christ because you tried to equip the parents as well as you could and love on them. And then strategically, you were purposeful of keeping the gospel before them week after week after week. So how does this involve you? It involves some of you as as parents, some of you that are on that rotation already, to continue, but to make kind of bigger cuts. And, And my idea would be that if you go back there for that four or five weeks, then you would have a month or two or two months off, that somebody else would be doing it the next unit, somebody else the next unit so that you wouldn't be missing all of church in here because I don't want you out of this sanctuary also. We need to be together as a church. But our kids need that consistency because when they have that consistency, you get fired up. When you're just in there for one week, you don't learn that other person left off the last week and you don't know, they don't know the next week where you left off. But when you're in there for four, four or five weeks, you know exactly where you left off. And you can continue that passion and that learning with those kids on a week-to-week basis. Now, now please don't hear that all of a sudden everything's going to change because we did some, you know, organizational differences. No. Lest the Spirit of God reign on us. Guys, we're just making plans of man. But God has given us a sense and what works and what doesn't work. And, and I, I just think that this is going to work well, but it is going to take your commitment. One of the hearts that I have, and then I'll close, is that to see all the generations in church working together. And, and I see more and more that churches are kind of picking generations to, to go minister to. I, I'm not against that. You know, you, you see ones that are just becoming, you know, for the young ones or the different ones like that. And they're very successful in what they're doing. And they're hitting kids and attracting kids that wouldn't go to this church or another church perhaps because of a style or whatever. So please don't hear any blame or any fault in that. But I long for that church where the generations come together. Why? Because it's biblical. What is Paul saying? Man, there's a generational relay race going in here. And as I finish my run, I'm going to hand off this baton to you. And you run with all your might. And when you get done, you hand it off to the next generation. Folks, he's talking about generational church. A grandmother and a mother. And that's where I, I, I ask to start praying even now, senior adults. Uh, and, and you can define what senior adult is. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble with that. But if, anybody, if, you've, if you have that mentality, if you truly have that mentality, hey, I raised my kids and, and now you know, I'm, I'm kind of done with that stage, I would so ask that you would prayerfully consider taking your wisdom, your love, the grace of God that exists in your heart and sharing that with the generation or two below you. I know you've done your job. I know you've done the task of raising kids and yet you have so much to give to these young ones. Because there's times, I mean, was there ever a time that you listened to grandma or granddad, but you didn't listen to mom or dad? And there was just something about the authority of their age 
And maybe it was the cookie that grandma gave you too. I, I don't know. But, you know, there was something about that that you just, you know, you listen to them at times when maybe your mind and your heart was closed to your parents. That, that's my desire. That's what I believe that God is calling us to. Next week, Jeff's going to share you, with you more about, you know, uh, the actual curriculum, the mindset of that, and how we can each be involved. We would like to start this at the beginning of October. And uh, in order to do that, we would need people to say, hey, I, I prayerfully signed up. Uh, put me on that first, you know, four weeks or five weeks. And, and I will commit myself to that so that we can see if we can uh, do this in a way that it brings about uh, learning and depth and, and all the things. Uh, again, that's already taking place, but we just want to take it to another level. Uh, let's pray together today. Father, uh, in, in a way we've been in your word, but Father, we've also talked a little bit about strategy today. And, and so, Father, I, I do not want the strategy to get lost. Father, your word is what is important. Your word is what gives us strategy and, and a way to think. But Father, I pray that you would so quicken our hearts to have a deep passion for the children that you've blessed us with here at Cornerstone. Father, I've heard parents say a thousand times that they cannot even imagine the world that they're growing their children up in, much less sending their their children out to. Fast will come the time that they are 18, 19 years old and going off to college or going off to that first job or going into that marriage or whatever it might be as they become adults. And, and Father, we will look back and, and we'll see how precious this time is. So, Father, will you help us to, to learn of your word this morning? Father, will you plant a seed of vision within our hearts and our lives that while we may not be the biggest church and we may not have this and we may not have that, Father, all those things really don't really matter. Father, if we could raise a generation of children to be Christ followers, passionate generation of people that love Christ well and follow him passionately, oh, what a blessed church this would be. So, Father, will you call us to that? Will you equip us? Will you challenge us with this? And, Father, may we run the race and pass the baton with great joy. We love you and we thank you, Father, for the hope that you've given us in Christ, for he is our only passion and our only hope. We love you as we pray this in his powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.